Um, I meant to say this earlier, but uh, my name is Ben. I am the, uh, I'm on staff here at the church, director of worship and also youth ministries and a couple, a couple other things. Um, and I, it's always a privilege and a joy for me when I get the opportunity to preach and uh, do something different. I'm thankful to Elias for filling in for me on worship so I could be freed up to, to work on this sermon. And uh, typically, obviously, Pastor Lucas would be preaching on most Sundays here. Um, but I left this out of the announcements. Uh, we have, uh, exci- it's exciting right now. He's in Cairo right at this minute. Uh, he is about to be preaching in a church service actually in about an hour and a half. And he is there on a mission trip training pastors and teaching a class on preaching. Um, so while he's gone, me and Aaron will be holding down the fort with our uh, sermon series in Proverbs. And uh, that's where we're going to head right now. If you would please bow your heads and, and pray with me one more time as we enter into this time of, of hearing from God's Word. Father, we're so excited for uh, the chance that Pastor Lucas has to go and uh, to train pastors on the other side of the world. God, we pray that you would be with him today as he's preaching and this week as he is um, leading this course, that uh, God, pray that your spirit would just make it fruitful, that these pastors would feel equipped and ready to go out to serve you, to preach your word faithfully and, and boldly in their own churches. And we pray for that now as well, God, in our church, as we open your word, that uh, your spirit would speak to us through your word, uh, that it wouldn't be me, that I wouldn't say anything that isn't from your word, God, but that your spirit would be convicting us and changing us and shaping us by your word this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We're continuing on in our series in Proverbs. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open them to Proverbs chapter 6. We're going to pick up where we left off in verse 20. And if you've been with us through the rest of this series, you'll know that two weeks ago, chapter 5, talked a lot about adultery. And then you're going to flip today to chapter 6, verse 20, and you're going to realize we're talking about adultery again. Um, and that is the, that's the fun part about preaching straight through a book, right? We're not choosing the topics. We're not like, man, there's a bunch of adulterers in this church. We need to preach on that a bunch of times. But we're just going straight through the book of Proverbs. Um, and Proverbs seems to think that adultery and sexual immorality is a big problem and something that we need to be watching out for. Um, and I'm actually, I think it's kind of good for us to hit this topic again so soon because I think in our world today, we are just absolutely bombarded by sexual temptations everywhere. They're all around us, right? You almost can't escape them. You drive down the highway and boom, a billboard pops up right there. Right when you, you're not seeking it out, it's just finding you. Uh, we literally carry supercomputers in our pockets with internet access, every single app and thing on there. Temptation lurks around every corner, right? And it's not that this is a, a new problem. You don't have to read very far into the book of Genesis to run into sexual immorality. Uh, this, is a, this is something that Humanity is tempted with and, and struggles with uh, from, from the beginning. But I do think we face potent temptation in our day today with the advent of technology. It also is so much more accessible today, right? You used to have to, like in our text, we're going to see a woman who waits until her husband's out of town. And she plans out and she makes sure she goes at nighttime where nobody can see her. Now you don't even have to do that. You can just do it in your, in your house on your phone. You don't have to wait till your spouse is out of town. Your spouse can go to the grocery store and you can pull out your phone and be tempted by sin and fall. Um, So we do face uh, great temptation in our walks with Christ in this world. As we strive to live faithfully, we are going to run into temptation. 
And so we need something that is going to help protect us, something that is going to preserve us when we hit that temptation. In that moment when we're tempted, there is something that's going to be able to help us resist it. And that's what our passage is all about today. And uh, spoiler alert, that something is wisdom. The whole book's about wisdom. And today, the father in the book of Proverbs is going to tell us how wisdom protects us from temptation. Well, just before we jump into verse 20, there's also two notes I want to make just right at the top. The first one is something we've said before in Proverbs, but I think it is worth saying again another time. Uh, The book of Proverbs is written, it assumes, as you're reading it, it assumes that you are in the covenant. It assumes that you're a believer. This is a passage that's written to the believer specifically. Um, Whether that is the Old Testament covenant uh, person of Israel, or now for us in the new covenant in Christ's blood. When we read Proverbs, it's assuming you've read the Old Testament. It's assuming you know the Ten Commandments in the Torah. And especially today, this passage is directed at a son who is trying to do the right thing. The father doesn't tell his son, hey, stop committing adultery. Stop seeking sin. No, he's, he's saying, make sure you protect yourself and get ready for when the temptation comes so you can withstand the temptation. The son in this passage that the father is speaking to is a, is a believer who's trying his best to live well in the world. And the father wants to remind him and help him to do that, wants to give him tools to help him survive when temptation comes. And I think that'll be clear as we continue reading that this is a passage to a to someone who's trying to resist temptation. Uh, the other thing, another brief note before we start, is just that this passage is written from the, the perspective of a father to a son. Uh, but that does not mean that this passage is only for men. It's only for sons. Uh, sexual immorality is a temptation for every believer, uh, male or female, man or woman. It doesn't matter. Uh, it just happens to be from the perspective of a father and a son. But it applies to all of us. I also want to say, uh, if, you're, if you're single in here, you're like, man, another one on adultery? What is this? What's going on? I'm single. This doesn't apply to me. Uh, it certainly does uh, because, well, you could commit adultery with someone who's married, obviously. But also just sexual immorality in general is a struggle for the Christian life. Single, married, it doesn't matter where you're at in life. This is something that we need to protect ourselves against. And so that's what we're going to see in our passage today. We'll go ahead and start in verse 20. We're going to be going all the way to the end of 7. There's a lot that Proverbs has to say on adultery, but we'll start just with this introduction, these first couple verses. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching a light, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life, to preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. So we'll go ahead and stop there. That is the introduction to this next lecture that the father is giving to his son in the book of Proverbs. And basically he tells his son the same thing he's been telling him. Hey, keep my commandments, keep God's commandments so that they will preserve you from the evil woman. The point of this whole passage that the Father sets up here in the first five verses is wisdom, seeking wisdom. We need to seek wisdom in order to protect us when temptation comes. He starts in the the first two verses, 20 and 21, are almost verbatim what has already been said. He's been saying the same thing for the whole book. Keep 
your father's commandments, forsake not your mother's teaching, and bind them to your heart. Tie them around your neck. He's been saying that over and over and over again. And just a recap for what that is, the father's commandments are God's commandments. The father's saying, son, I raised you well. You know the Torah. I taught you the correct way to live. So now actually do it. I know you know it in your head, but actually live it out. Bind it on your heart. Have it everywhere in your life. Have God's scriptures and God's commands. Uh, Follow them. Keep them close to you and follow them in your life. What the Father adds here is in verse 22 and 23. Here's a why should you listen to these. I've been telling you this the whole time, son. I've been telling you, listen to my commandments. Here's another reason why you should. Because 22, when you walk, they lead you. They watch over you. They talk with you. And they're a lamp and a light and the way of life. Literally, God's word, the Father is telling his son, God's word, as you walk through your life, you come to a crossroads, you have to make a decision to go left or right, and you're struggling with the decision, trying to figure it out, and then all of a sudden, oh man, a verse pops in your head. Got it. Okay, I got to go right. Uh, We talked about earlier in 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 the book that when you live wisely according to God's word, you're secure. You can lie down at night and not be afraid because you're living well. And also, God's word is going to talk with you as you go through your life and you're having a conversation with somebody and you just wish you had the right words to tell them. All of a sudden, you hear God's word talking to you in your ear. You remember that verse and you have the right word to give them in that moment. That's the promise that the father tells his son that uh, God's word is going to help us on our way. And not only that, but his, his word is going to light our way. It's, it's almost exactly the same as Psalm 119, right? God's word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. Here, God's commandment and God's teaching, God's word, is a lamp and a light. You can picture, like, somebody walking in the darkness, right? And you're going forward, you can't see anything, and you're tripping on obstacles you can't see. And then you go, and the the road turns, but you step off the edge because you didn't see that it was turning. You can't see when things are in your path ahead, lurking, trying to get you. But when we live according to God's word, and we have the wisdom of Scripture uh, always with us, and we're always into it, then it's like literally a flashlight. It's like a lamp, and we can suddenly see the road in front of us. And we can see, ah, that's a bump. i got to step over that. I don't want to mess up on that. Oh, the road's turning here. Got to make sure I turn with it. God's word literally illuminates the road in front of us and helps us find the way of life, not the way that's going to have us tripping off the side of the path. And then the Father continues with verse 24, introducing the main subject of this passage. He says, Keep my commandments. You should keep them because they're a light to your path. Why do you need a light to your path? Why do we need to know what's coming ahead on our walk? It's because coming ahead on our walk is temptation. When we keep his word, verse 24, we follow it, to preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. The father tells his son, the stakes are high. You want to be able to see what's coming. You need this light to see so that when the day comes, not if, When the day comes that temptation strikes and the evil woman and her smooth tongue approaches you, the words of God are able to preserve you. They're able to protect you. They're able to help you in the moment of temptation. And that's really the whole point of of all of this, all the way to the end of chapter 7. And I think there's a few applications right off the bat from just these first few verses that we can take away. The first one is, we need to be reading God's word. How is God's word going to protect us on our path if we don't actually read it? I looked back, I was trying to think, every single one of our sermons in Proverbs so far, one of the main application, takeaway, go home with points has been, read the Bible. (laughs) Proverbs keeps saying it over and over. 
And it makes sense because this book of Proverbs is about wisdom. We know that wisdom is the fear of the Lord. We know that in order to fear the Lord in the first place, you have to know the Lord. And how do we know the Lord? Through his word. He's revealed himself to us in his word. And so the book of Proverbs repeats it over and over again. So we're going to keep repeating it over and over again. We have to be reading God's word. If you get to the end of this Proverbs series and you're not reading your Bible every day, I don't know if you've been listening to Proverbs. I mean, it's truly in every chapter the importance of knowing God's word. I think also this passage might push us even further, another application uh, of reading God's word, which is that we need to be memorizing God's word. How can God's word lead you on your path and help you decide which way to go and talk to you throughout your day if you don't actually have it internalized, right? I get, you could literally walk around with your Bible out and you come to a decision, you go, hold on, let me check, and you try and figure it out right there. But really, we need to be internalizing God's word, memorizing God's word. That's how it's going to help us when we face temptation. Now, I don't think that necessarily means you have to go home and break out the flashcards and start writing them down and start really totally getting into memorization and have the whole book of Proverbs memorized. Uh, If you want to do that, that's awesome. Um, But I don't think most of us have the time to really sit down with the flashcards and get them all out. But I do think there are some small, easy things we can do to just start knowing more Scripture. The first one being read it every day. The more you read it, the more you're going to have it in your mind. I also think something you can do is if you read in the morning, you read your quiet time, let's say you're reading Proverbs 6, You can just take one verse out of there. For your commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light. And then for the rest of your day, try to bring that back to mind. What did I read this morning? Something about the commandment. The commandment's a light. The commandment's a light. The teaching is the way of life. Something like that. And you keep throughout the day, you keep bringing it back to mind. You keep dwelling on the scripture that you read that morning. And that's one way to start internalizing that scripture. Then the next day, somebody says, hey, do you know what Proverbs 6 says? You go, oh, wait, I read that the other day. I have that. It's it's the, the word. It's a lamp. And you start to just know scripture. You don't have to know verbatim the whole chapter, verse and number, but you have scripture in you and it's there to pull out when you need it. I also think uh, one other way we can think about memorizing scripture and just getting more scripture in our lives, Proverbs keeps talking about binding it on our hearts, tying it around our necks, binding it on your fingers, write it on your forehead. It's It's all over Proverbs. Let's just do it. Maybe, you do, maybe we just do get a necklace and have a scripture verse on it. But I think a, a better way to do it is think about a verse, think about an area you struggle with, a temptation that might come your way, a verse that speaks to that, and then just put that verse everywhere. You wake up in the morning and there's a sticky note on your bathroom mirror. There's the verse. Today I'm thinking about this verse. I'm memorizing this verse. I've got it on my mind. You're driving to work, sticky notes on your car uh, steering wheel. As you're driving, you can remember that verse. You can start memorizing it. And just put it everywhere. Put scripture literally, physically in your life. That's another way we can work on just internalizing it and having more scripture memorized. So the father has laid out his argument. He said, you need to listen to my word because it's a light. You need to listen to God's word because it's a light. You need that light because temptation is going to strike. And now he's going to give us the warning. Make sure you pay attention to what I'm saying because here's here's what's going to happen if you don't. Here are the consequences if you do fall into temptation. Here are the consequences if you do commit adultery or do commit some other act of sexual immorality, starting in verse 25. Do not desire her beauty in your heart, and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes, for the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. 
Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes in to his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he's hungry. But if he's caught, he will pay sevenfold. He will give all the goods of his house. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will not be wiped away. For jealousy makes a man furious, and he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse, though you multiply gifts. The Father lays out here the reality that when we fall into temptation, specifically when you commit adultery, the consequences are severe, inevitable, and unending. The consequences are severe, inevitable, and unending. And we're going to see that as we walk through what these consequences are. He starts with a warning. Verse 25, don't desire her beauty in your heart, and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. Notice he doesn't say, don't commit adultery. Again, the son knows that. The son, he's grown up in a believing household. He knows the Ten Commandments, don't commit adultery. He doesn't need to be told that again. The father takes it one step further. He says, don't even desire her in your heart, because when you start to do that, you start to get captured by her eyelashes, this expression of you just start to be pulled in. Uh, Hopefully this sounds a lot to you like the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, if you even lust after a woman with your eyes, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. The author of, of, of Proverbs is picking up on this idea that the act itself is not, of course the act itself is, is sinful and is bad, but it starts before the act. It starts with desiring that person in your heart. And you can almost imagine the son being like, come on, Dad, of course I'm not going to commit adultery. Are you kidding me? Why, why would I do that? I'm not going to do that. But are you desiring her? Are you thinking about her? Are you spending way too much time thinking about someone who's not your spouse? I think it's really easy for us to say, well, of course I'm not going to commit adultery. Of course. That's ridiculous. It feels so far removed from us. But it's not that far removed to just keep looking at somebody else. Your phone is not that far removed in your pocket where you're clicking on things that you shouldn't be looking at. We need to stop desiring things and thinking that we're going to make it and be fine because we're not actually, we're not hurting anybody. It's just me. I'm just kind of looking. It's all in my mind. That's how you fall into the trap and end up with these consequences that the Father describes, starting in verse 26. He says, The price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. Now, this verse really confused me when I read it the first time. I was like, what? I had to go. I read a couple different translations, checked in the commentaries, tried to figure out what it's saying. I think the ESV and its attempt to be as close to the, the original order of words as possible makes it a little hard to understand here. But basically... The father's saying, the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread. Like, you pay one time. You pay one time to sleep with a prostitute. If you sleep with a married woman and commit adultery with a married woman, that mistake is going to hunt you down for the rest of your life to the end of your life. It says that the married woman hunts down a precious life. Literally, it's saying that the married woman will hunt you down and take your life. Now, I don't think literally that's what will happen. Maybe it's in the form of a husband, a jealous husband who comes. Uh, Maybe it's in other consequences that we're going to see. But basically, this is like the pinnacle, the ultimate mistake you can make, is what the author's saying, is to sleep with a married woman. That is going to be a mistake that hunts you down and ultimately takes your life. That is the severe consequence of adultery. It ultimately takes your life. 
That's a little bit of a weird phrase to say it like that. Like, of course, the author's not saying prostitution's fine. Of course it's not. Uh, but he's just trying to impress upon his son just the, how bad adultery is on top of everything else. Because not only are you sinning, sexu- you're, you're being sexually immoral, sleeping with someone who's not your wife, you're also ruining someone else's marriage. You're breaking a covenant that they have made. You're participating in ruining and breaking a covenant uh, on top of all the other sins that are happening in that moment. And so it is a stark, harsh warning. Do not commit adultery. Do not commit adultery. He continues in verse 27, this punishment is inevitable. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? He, he does this escalating series of rhetorical questions. Can you touch fire and not be burned? No, of course not. Can you stand in the fire and not be burned? No. So how can you think you would commit adultery and not receive consequences? It's impossible. The consequences are inevitable. They will come. And I think that's one of the biggest temptations is that we face is to think that, oh, well, no one knows, right? No one's going to find out. No one's going to find out. And that's the, that's the temptation that this warning is, is fighting back against. It's impossible to touch fire and not get burned. It's impossible to commit adultery and not receive uh, severe consequences. It's inevitable. So if you're in here this morning and you are in the midst of something that is continuing on and you think that it's in secret and no one knows, st- stop it now because the punishment is coming. It's not, it's not avoidable. You think you can get away with it. You think you can get by with it. It seems sometimes like people are getting away with it. But ultimately, whether quickly in this life the punishment comes or in the next life, the punishment will come. Whenever we're tempted to think that we're going to be able to get away with it and no one knows, at the very least God knows, and that is a punishment you don't want to face. So the punishment, it's severe. Your life is being hunted down. It's, it's inevitable. You can't touch fire and not be burned. And finally, this punishment is long-lasting. Starting in verse 30, he starts talking about a thief. Where did the thief come from? All of a sudden, he's talking about a thief. He says, the thief... He steals to satisfy his hunger when he's hungry. Uh, then people don't despise him. Basically, you can think about in the community, if you know somebody's a thief, somebody stole from somebody else, but you know they did it because they were starving. They had no food. They were trying to figure out what to do. And so out of desperation, they steal some food so they can survive for another week. Uh, you don't really hate that person, right? You're like, oh, I kind of get it. Even though it's wrong, you're like, yeah, I mean, he needed to eat, right? But then if he gets caught, he's still punished. Even though you get it, even though you feel sorry for him, even though you wish he had stuff to eat, you still can't steal. It's still, it's still wrong to steal. So he still goes to court. He still has to pay back what he owes. And then more than that, and because this guy doesn't have a lot in the first place, he gives everything he has. Even though people don't despise that person, he gives up everything because he broke the law. Well, how much more are people going to despise the adulterer? The person who commits adultery in verse 32 lacks sense, destroys himself, gets wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will not be wiped away. Uh, there is no, people do despise you if you commit adultery. There's no like, oh, I kind of get it. You know, he needed, people hate the person who commits adultery. Uh, that dishonor, it sticks with you. The wounds, the dishonor, the disgrace, they don't get wiped away for the rest of your life. People in the community know, yeah, that guy committed adultery. Don't like that guy. He cheated on his wife and ruined that other guy's marriage. That kind of stuff sticks. It's not understandable. It's, it's dumb. It lacks sense. You're destroying yourself when you do it. And so we see that this punishment for adultery, these consequences, they're long-lasting. They follow you. We kind of set that up with the hunting uh, in verse 26 as well. And then it finishes with this jealous husband. 
in verses 34 and 35, the thief gets to go to court and he can say, here, take all my stuff. I'm sorry, just take all my stuff. And he's off the hook. You try to go to court with the person, uh, the jealous husband, the jealous spouse, they don't accept the gift. You can say, man, take my car, take my house, take all of it. And they want nothing less than your death. They don't, they don't accept whatever you want to give them because you've ruined their marriage. You've taken what was theirs and you can't get out of it. It's an inescapable punishment again. Well, this is a really hard passage, really harsh consequences that the Father says are going to follow if you commit adultery. Um, so I think there's a few things that we can take away from it. Uh, first of all is that he's already laid out plan A, right? The first thing you should be doing when you face temptation is running to Scripture, running to God's Word, praying Scripture, leaning back on God's strength, leaning into wisdom from God's Word to help you resist temptation. That's, that's the main way you resist temptation. But I think a secondary way for us can be, think about the consequences. When you're about to click on that thing, when you're about to go talk to that coworker and you're about to go out with them alone tonight, think about, and you can feel the temptation. You can feel the temptation. You're like, ah, I'm really, I'm struggling. Think about the consequences and how severe they will be. If you think you're about to get away with it, if you think, oh, well, dude, nobody's going to find out. How, you know, the temptation is no one's going to find out. Someone will find out. Lean into those consequences and realize and remember how bad it's going to be if you go through with this act. I think another thing we have to grapple with with this text is that it doesn't always look like people actually receive these, these consequences, right? Probably all of us know people who we know they're doing this thing or that thing. We know they cheated. We know that they, they're on their second or third marriage and they've broken up everybody's marriages and it doesn't seem like they're being punished. It doesn't seem like the consequences are coming. Some, maybe some of us even have been on the receiving end of that and it's, we're waiting for justice to come. We're waiting for the consequences to come for that person who wronged us Uh, and who committed adultery. And we have to remember with the book of Proverbs that uh, this is a book that's talking about, in general, what is true about the world. In general, as we look around the world and we live wisely and people do wise and foolish things, in general, yes, you will get punished. I think part of the problem is that as our culture continually goes further and further from the truth, you're less ostracized in your community because people do come up with horrible excuses for why you do that stuff. Um, we're just in a, in a world that is fallen, in a world that is broken, and where justice isn't always done as it should be. But we can take heart knowing that ultimately God's justice will be done. One day Christ will return to judge the living and the dead, and everyone will be a judge, judged according to what they have done. And the person who has been uh, committing adultery all his life, who seems to be just dodging all the consequences, will face the eternal final consequence. And there's no escaping that that final death when it comes. And the last thing I think as we think about adultery, sexual sin, and the consequences of it, um, is that those of us in here who have gotten into this stuff before know that the consequences do come, and they're terrible. But there is a way to avoid that final consequence. There is a way to be free from the ultimate consequence of committing sin, and that is through Jesus Christ. He created us uh, to live correctly, and we continue to sin. We continue to be caught in these patterns of sin. And so God sent Jesus down to become incarnate, to become a human among us, to live a perfect life, and to then go to the cross and die in our place. We, because of the sins that we've committed, adultery or otherwise, deserve that punishment, and he did not. 
And he said, you know what, I'm going to take their place, take that punishment on myself so that they can be free from it. And when he raises from the dead, and we are now free from sin. If you have accepted Christ, if you're a Christian in here this morning, uh, you are free from sin. Uh, even if you have these sins in your past, even if you're still dealing with the earthly consequences of falling into some of these sins, you don't have to live in guilt and shame. You can be free from that, knowing that your sins are completely wiped away by Christ's blood. You are not trapped in those sins, but they are forgiven. They are completely forgiven. And if you're in here this morning and you're not a Christian, and you are stuck in this sin, and you are guilty, and you are trying to figure out and trying to stop, and you can't stop, uh, there is a way, and that's through Jesus Christ. Uh, the, the offer is open. You can choose to follow him as your Lord and Savior. You can confess that you have sinned and repent from that sin, and you will be saved, and you will be able to be free from guilt and shame in Christ. Well, just when we think the Father has talked enough about, uh, about uh, adultery in Proverbs, you turn the page to chapter 7, and he's got a whole other chapter, a whole other chapter on adultery. And if you're looking at the clock like, man, a whole other chapter, what are we doing? It's, uh, don't worry, don't worry. It's, uh, it's really one big story that the Father tells in chapter 7, and we're going to read that and think about uh, how we can apply that. And basically the main thing that the father drives home, he's already said, all right, you need to listen to my words. It will protect you from adultery. It will protect you from temptation and falling into sin. Make sure you don't fall into sin because the results of that are death. The results are severe. Don't do it. Now in chapter 7, he says basically the same thing, but he comes at it from a different way. And he shows you, well, what is that temptation going to look like? Basically, he's trying to encourage his son, stay strong, keep my word, See this example of what temptation is going to look like and be ready to combat that. It's an, it's an action call for us this morning, chapter 7. It's saying, right now, Christians, seek wisdom. Seek wisdom so that you're ready when temptation comes. I'll go ahead and read just all of chapter 7 down straight at once, and then we'll kind of go through and, and see what we can take away from it. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call insight your intimate friend to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. For at the window of my house, I have looked out through my lattice, and I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house, in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. And behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, at every corner, she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him, and with a bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. So now I've come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from, each, from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him, and at full moon he will come home. With much seductive speech, she persuades him, 
With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her. As an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast, till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into the snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. And now, O sons, listen to me, and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. Well, hopefully you can see as we read that, chapter 7, that it's very similar to 6, like the, the message is the same. Seek wisdom so you can avoid temptation. If you follow temptation, death is the answer. So we'll start with the Father's call at the beginning. What should we do? What does the Father tell us we need to be doing? And then we'll examine this long picture that the Father paints, this long story that he tells, and see what we can learn from there too. So first, he starts out the same way, the same as the rest of the lectures of the book. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my words. Treasure them up. Write them on your fingers. Write them on your heart. Then he says this in verse 4, Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call insight your intimate friend. You guys remember back in chapter 5, uh, one of the ways that chapter 5 told us to resist sexual temptation was to enjoy your spouse. Why would you look at another person when you have a spouse? God's given you a spouse, so just enjoy that person. That's an outlet for that uh, energy, and that is a way that you can resist temptation. God's given you a way. It's through your spouse. That is one of the main ways that we can resist sexual temptation. And if you're single, you're hearing that, and you're like, that's great. But uh, I don't have a spouse. What's up with that? What do I do? Um, And now, that's what Proverbs is going to tell us right here in verse 4. Instead of loving your spouse and and enjoying your spouse, and that being a a defense against uh, adultery, this time you're supposed to love wisdom. You're supposed to spend time with wisdom. You're supposed to pour your energy and your effort into wisdom, your sister, your intimate friend. Uh, Basically, Of course, married people can do this too, but basically all of the energy that you would be pouring into loving your spouse as a single person, you have that much more time to pour into loving God's word, to pour into knowing scripture, to pour into gaining wisdom. Think about in Corinthians when Paul says, I wish everybody could be single because then you have all of your time to devote to God. You aren't worried about your kids or your wife or whatever. You're you're totally free to devote everything to God. And that's where you're at if you're single right now. You have so much time to devote to Scripture. And the more you do that, the more you spend time with Scripture, the more you devote yourself to learning it and knowing it and memorizing it, the more you will be kept and protected from temptation when it comes. So the same thing he said in chapter 6, really, but we need to be getting into Scripture. So much so that you call Scripture your intimate friend, as close as your spouse, if not closer. Of course, again, married people, we also need to be doing this. Uh, and we need to make sure that we're doing it, because if we're not, uh, it'll lead to trouble. So then he continues, and basically he lays out this story that he's seen. The father has observed the world around him, and he's gained some wisdom from observing things that are happening around him. And so I'll just explain this thing, this this whole story here, kind of walk through it, explain it, and then we'll look and see what what takeaways we can get out of it. So first, in in verse 6, the father's looking out the window, and he sees a young man. And he knows this young man is, is stupid, lacking sense, because he sees this young man walking down the street where a known adulteress lives. This is a woman 
who's married to some wealthy merchant in the city. And that guy, he's always going on business trips. He's always doing, he's always going out of town. And people know that when he goes out of town, his wife then goes. And she's on street corners. She's in marketplaces. She's all over the city looking for prey. And so the father sees this young man walking down her street. And he goes, oh, no. Oh, no. This guy is really dumb. Not only is he walking down her street, which might be, you know, okay, he can maybe do it. But he's walking down her street at night. It's doubly stupid. He's walking down her street at the time where nobody's going to see what's going to happen. If you walk down her street during the day, maybe, but at night, a very, very foolish mistake that this young man has made. And so, of course, she meets him. Uh, She kisses him. She grabs him. And in verse 14, she talks about she's offering sacrifices. I've paid vows. We're kind of like, what is that all about? That makes no sense to us. Um, Basically, there were sacrifices. There was a bunch of different sacrifices. Israel had, obviously, a lot. You can read about them. Uh, in the Torah, but also the pagan cultures around Israel had a lot of similar types of sacrifices. And one of them, you would, you would kill the animal, but not all of the animal would be cooked. Basically, only certain parts of it are cooked. And then afterward, the rest of the animal is a feast. And that's kind of part of the sacrifice. Like the, the feast finishes off the whole ceremony. And so this woman is not only tempting the young man with sex, but also with food. She's saying, hey, I've got a whole feast at home. And I need somebody to help me eat it. I, need, I have to finish it for this, for this vow that I've made. It's a part of this ritual. Come on, come on and come join me for dinner. Not only do I have dinner prepared, but of course she has the whole trap prepared. She's laid out a soft bed with these Egyptian linens. She's perfumed the bed with myrrh and aloes and cinnamon, which maybe it's something like candles and rose petals, right? They're all out. They're ready to go. It's prepared. And not only that, but her husband's out of town. He's a businessman. Uh, he's not going to be back till the full moon, probably two weeks from now. Two weeks, not even, not a chance he comes back tonight. And so then the young man is, is tempted. Uh, and in verse, he, he went out, he didn't go out looking for adultery. He's not seeking out sin, but he's foolishly walking near temptation. And then temptation strikes and he's struggling against it. She continues to offer him all these things. And finally in verse 22, all at once, He follows her. He gives in to the temptation. He's caught in the trap. And uh, he goes to his death. The father gives us this example. Proverbs gives us this example uh, to show us what not to do. Clearly, this is what not to do. (laughs) You should not be like this young man in the example. And so let's go ahead and think about what should we do instead. What's the opposite of what this guy's doing? Because that's what we want to be doing. The opposite of this guy. The first mistake he makes is that he's foolish. Uh, And so, easy application for us. Don't be foolish. Don't be stupid. Uh, We've been saying this from chapter 1 of Proverbs. There's lots of things in life that might not be a sin, but are oh so foolish to do. Uh, Don't put yourself in temptation's way. If you know that you are tempted by somebody at work, you're having a, there's a relationship, there's some banter, you can't like, quit the job. Well, I guess you could quit the job and just not see him again, but likely you're going to try and keep that job. But just be wise about how you interact with that person, right? Don't do stuff alone with them. Don't, you have to sometimes say no to everybody's going out to the bar after work. Come on. You might just have to say no. You might just have to have some bit of less fun in order to be wise and to not put yourself straight in temptation's path. Uh, If you know that when you're home alone, you're tempted by what you can find on the internet, lock it down. Turn your phone into a brick that does nothing. It's really inconvenient and it's annoying, but it's worth it to not be put into the path of temptation. Do everything you can to be wise and avoid temptation in your life. 
Because another thing that we learn from this passage is that temptation uh, is not an excuse. This young man can't say, well, hey, hold on, she came on to me. It wasn't my fault. I was just walking down the street innocently. I had no idea, and all of a sudden I'm attacked. How could it be my fault? It's your fault because you walked down that street at night in the first place. And it's your fault because ultimately you gave in to the temptation. Uh, We can't blame temptation uh, when we fall into it, right? Especially if we're the ones who put ourselves in harm's way with temptation. Um, And I think that's the other thing we learned from this passage, which is that temptation will come. Uh, It's a promise. In this life, as a Christian, as you try to live your Christian life and, and live without sin and live well and glorify God with your life, you will be tempted. There are people out there like this adulteress. There are companies out there. There are algorithms out there. All of it that is there to trap you. This woman, if you see in verse 26 and 27, a mighty throng has she killed. She has just killed so many people behind her. Her whole goal is to go out there and trap young men and kill them for her own pleasure. And we're going to run into stuff like that in this life. Uh, Whatever it is, it comes in different forms, but temptation will come to meet us. Temptation designed to make us fall. Temptation that, when we fall to it, ultimately leads to death. And so that's the point of this passage, is that we need to be ready. We need to be prepared, ready to face that temptation when it strikes. Just one other note about this passage, this uh, story that the father lays out, is that what is the temptation that the, the young man faces? The woman doesn't say, hey, don't worry, this is fine. God doesn't care about this. Uh, My husband's fine with this. Like, don't worry, it's totally cool. Like, nothing wrong with this. That's not what she says. She says, my husband's not home. It's dark outside. He's not coming home for two weeks. No one will see. You'll never, no one will ever know. You won't get caught. One of the biggest temptations with sexual sin is the thinking that we're going to get away with it, that that no one's going to know. And just remember that fire analogy from, from chapter 6. You cannot touch fire and not get burned. And so as we conclude here today, as we finish out, thinking about this passage, I think there's two main takeaways that we can go away with. The first one is we need to be playing offense. We need to walk out of here this morning fighting temptation. We cannot afford to wait until it strikes us. Right? We can't just be walking through life not worried about anything then temptation hits, and then we're like, oh, wait, I need a verse. I need a something. I need, I need help. I can't. It's too late at that point. We need right now to be seeking God, seeking wisdom, getting into Scripture, so that when temptation strikes, we're prepared for it. We need to be anticipating temptation. We need to be wisely avoiding it as much as we can. This is, I hope, even though this passage is kind of, um, obviously it's a, it's a warning. It's a harsh warning. It's a hard word about the consequences of, of sin. But I also hope it encourages you as you leave here this morning to say, all right, I need to get to work. I need to make sure that I am prepared when temptation strikes. I think that's the father's goal for his son is that his son would be encouraged and his son would be prepared and ready for whatever he's going to face out there in the world. And we prepare and do that by seeking God's word and, and knowing God's word. And then I think the other thing that this passage makes abundantly clear and the other thing that all of us here who are Christians know is that we can't do this on our own. If you try to fight temptation on your own, you will fall. Ask anybody here who's been a Christian for more than a couple weeks. There's something that you're trying to not do, and the more you try to not do it, the more you do it. The more you do it. The more you try on your own willpower to not click on that thing, the more you try on your own willpower to not call that person or see that person later, the more you're going to fall and do it. 
Um, it's just how it works. And so the Father tells us, well, you need something else outside of yourself to help you fight temptation. That something else is Scripture, and that something else is also mainly, most importantly, the Gospel. When we are forgiven of our sins through the blood of Jesus Christ, we have access to power to not sin again. We are totally set free from that sin. We're no, we're no longer slaves to that sin. We're slaves to Christ. And so when you've had your sin forgiven and that sin faces you again, that temptation faces you again, lean back into the grace of Christ and say, no, 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 I'm forgiven. This sin is taken away from me and through the power of Jesus' blood, you are able to resist temptation. Christian, you have the ability, you don't have the ability, but you have the tools to defeat temptation. You have scripture, you have the power of Christ himself, you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you. You are able to resist temptation. You are able to stop sinning, to repent, and to sin no more. And you're going to continue to work on stuff. You're going to continue to find new areas of sin that you're going to fall into. But we can take heart and encouragement this morning knowing that we have the power of the gospel with us uh, to face that temptation. And if you're not a Christian, again, just briefly as we close here, that power is available to you. You can have that. You can stop sinning. You can stop doing that thing that you hate Come and talk to somebody and ask us about how you can follow Christ and how you can make him your Lord and be forgiven of your sins. So as we leave here this morning, I hope you're encouraged and I hope that we get to work this week and we get into scripture because actively seeking wisdom is going to prepare us and protect us from temptation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Even the, the hard parts of it, the parts of it that are hard to hear, thinking about the consequences of sin that we know all too well. I pray, God, that each one of us here who knows you, who follows you as our Lord, would be assured that our salvation is secure in you, that we are completely forgiven of our sins. And I pray that that assurance, that forgiveness, would give us the power to face temptation and win. That we would go out of here emboldened and ready to face the weak, not worried about how we're going to fall into that same thing again, but with power, knowing that we can defeat it through you. Pray now as we sing this last song that we would worship you, God, for your great saving power in our life and that we would be ready to go and serve you and fight against temptation this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.